hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chit spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to episode 360 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor, coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity, comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so... Got cancer under 40 sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. We got a good one for you. An exclusive with my good friend Doug Allman and the James Cancer Hospital at the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. The Pelotonia is a grassroots bike tour with one goal to raise money for cancer research. Again, joining us uh, to discuss the impact and the history of this incredible event. And the research funded by the experience of cycling, entertainment, and volunteerism is my friend Doug Allman, the president and CEO of Pelotonia, and Dr. Michael Caligari, the director of The Ohio State University's Comprehensive Cancer Center and the CEO of the James Cancer Hospital. In our Survivor Spotlight, we're going to welcome young adult survivor Madison Miller. She's a really great girl doing some good stuff. And with that, I'm going Avengers Assemble. Hello, Noel and Mallory. And, oh, Redhead. I Hello. didn't recognize you with, the, with your weird head shape thing oh. in the back there. Hello. <laughs> You're dating the show based I on know. my haircut. <laughs> um, I saw that you Instagrammed a photo of Wohop, but you didn't go. I did go there for you, lunch. Oh, okay. And I also went there like three days ago, and I'm going to go there in two days. Oh, of course you are. I have, and for the uninitiated, Wohop is Kenny's official restaurant in Chinatown. Yes, and I have. When friends come to visit, they oftentimes want to go to Wohop. You have set a standard. I have. I got high fives when I walked in today. <laughs> they just know all, all you're around. on the wall, aren't you? Somewhere. Um, may, maybe a 15 year old version of myself. Yes. Well done. I can neither confirm or deny. Are you right? Yeah. Are you ready for the road trip? <laughs> <laughs> in Ex- seven months. Expletive delete. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hi, Mallory. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm just dandy. That is your best word, by the way. I've been tracing this back. That's your word. It is. Where did that come from? Well, it came from when people ask me how I'm doing, asking, saying like, okay, or I'm fine. It never really describes how you're doing. Right. It's so generic. Right. Um, I love the fact that when I go into stores and people ask me how I'm doing and I say dandy, they actually, it makes them go, huh? Right, and, and it sort of wakes people up. So it's like it's a very of, like a it's 19- passive aggressive. <laughs> well, it 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 also depends on the inflection. So there are days where dandy is not so dandy, right? <laughs> um, and then there are days where it it's me at my 
chipperist, but yes. it, I like going into stores, especially like when I'm checking out and people like ask you, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just Andy. How are you? And they're like, I've never heard that. Right. Like It makes them stop and pulls people out it's, of their Is routine. it 1924 again? I, I, lo- yeah. I love it. It's one of my, my new quirks. You should be doing the Charleston while you're uh, saying that. I, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not realize it was that versatile. Yeah. Yeah, it, it all depends on the day. Some days it's dandy, and some days it's I'm just dandy. Ah, uh, yes. It's all the inflection. Yes. We've heard the spectrum the around here lately. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's your dandy? I don't have that trademark word, do I? No, Is I, there something that I say I haven't often? yet picked up on something. I hope you all let me know if that's <laughs> the case. Yeah, you will cease and desist immediately. Yes. Well, at, at least... You, you start doing it purposely if you know. If yeah. You know. You you know. Yeah. Mine is just Jesus Christ. Fits everything. Yeah. Yeah. As a because for a Jew to say it, it has much more punch. Yeah. Fair. Mallory's nodding on the radio. Fair. For those of you listening. <laughs> anyway, I've heard we, it too many times. I'm just <laughs> ignoring it. Yes, Kenny, we're. We're on our uh, our coming. Up, we're entering our sixth year. We're well into our sixth year. Well, what, what, six and a half. Six. And, I, mean, I meant our seventh year coming up, starting this fall. Right, was on your first discovery at uh, yes at the Winthrop. Uh, yes, via Winthrop yes. at Farmingdale. God, seven years. We're you haven't least... changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, our big East Coast summit coming up uh, this Saturday uh, here in New York City. Uh, the OMG. Cancer Summit Fair, uh, OMG 2015 East. We keep changing the names, but it is the OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults in New York City. The East Coast version. The East Coast version of it, yes. West Coast. Pending. In the fall. In the fall. But no, we have two in the fall now because OMG West yes. in Irvine in November. Which yes. Is exciting. What you can learn about at omgsummit.org. And if you are picking up this podcast this week, uh, we still have space available for the New York City event again register at omgsummit.org and uh, we had some good news from our partners at cancer care we posted this on our wall facebook uh slash stupid cancer uh they're offering a five-week online support group for young adults who've completed cancer treatment uh or are cancer survivors so if you're in treatment not for you this is a kind of a what's next five-week online support group and i just realized that julie larson and i created this a decade ago and it's still hanging and it's around. still well. I don't know if it's been there or it's not, but she was the original young adult cancer survivor social worker at Cancer Care and built the young adult program ten years ago. So I'm glad that this is still a thing. Uh, what do people have to do? Is, it, is there a form on our? If to go to Facebook, right, and go to the form. Yeah, they have a sign up on their website. Um, it starts on Thursday, October first, and it actually is going to run for 15 weeks. Uh, so you don't have to sign up. You can. It's a rolling sign up, so you can sign up after the fact. Um, but it's cool because you. It's password protective, and you can log in at any point in time and message with other people seven days a week. It's like the University of Phoenix, except the exact yes. opposite. Well, <laughs> maybe something of. more substantial will Probably. come out of it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, our friends at Cancer and Careers had a great post. Uh, Rebecca Nellis, the Chief Mission Officer at uh, Cancer and Careers, uh, which is a great organization if you have not heard of it, cancerandcareers.org. Uh, the gist of their article, Mel? Uh, it was just a little bit of the background of Cancer and Careers and also sort of how Rebecca a dear friend of ours yes uh, is running through ran through cancer and careers and also they had an article that is now in stands on in women's health as well the october yes, women's health a big deal for them they, they've had a big week no it's been it's been really good it's been fun to be working with them all these years they've been growing by leaps and bounds and uh and finally we have our first inaugural i guess those are um synonymous words uh fundraiser event here in New York City called Toast, an Evening with Stupid Cancer. You can visit toast.stupidcancer.org to learn more, buy tickets, or just support the event with a general donation or donating an auction item or becoming a sponsor and helping some young adults get there for free who cannot afford tickets. So that is toast.stupidcancer.org. Sean, our director of development, who usually joins us here on the uh, on the show, is busy actually meeting with the committee the steering committee of toast as we speak. So he's not going to be here, but again, it is a great opportunity to support stupid cancer, our mission. And, uh, 
get your friends and family involved in believing what we do and experience um, who we are in person, uh, toast.stupidcancer.org. So let's start the show. In our Survivor Spotlight, Madison Miller, a 22-year-old lymphoma survivor and founder of Spark the Way, which we'll find out about. Uh, her life has been surrounded by cancer for years, but she's known from the start that it was not something to fear. Here to share her story with us and how she's choosing to give back to the young adult cancer community, please welcome Madison Miller. Maddie. Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show. Well, thank you for having me. Where are you calling in from? I'm from Clearwater, Florida. Okay, that's not quite Fly Arizona unless you're going to Disney, I suppose. It's only like an hour and a half away. We make the trip as often as we can. I, I assume you're season pass holders then. Um, We're actually downtown Disney fans. Oh, okay. So we don't actually go in the park. We'll just hang out around downtown. Got it. No, we uh, yeah. we have... Uh, have you been in Florida your whole life? Um, Pretty much, yes. I was born in Atlanta, but came here when I was um, one, one year old. <laughs> so, well, there you go. Much. You're about as native Floridian as uh, as as anyone. Yeah, that's I tell them. That's Good. what I tell them. So uh, we like to have our spotlights tell their story about a year before their diagnosis, so we get a sense of how you were presumably a regular, normal person, just going about your life, trying to live and grow and do your thing, and then bam, something happens. Would you share that with us? I would love to. Um, so I had graduated um, in 2011 um, from Countryside High School, and um, I was always involved in my church throughout high school, and um, we would go on these church trips, these conferences, and they would have these speakers. And um, one year this woman came to speak, and she um, was an advocate for human trafficking, and um, she has this organization where um, they have hubs all over the all over the world and they stop human trafficking and so when I graduated I applied for that internship um, because that was just had become a passion of mine um, and I applied for this internship and I got it um, so I was getting ready to move to California um, and that's kind of when everything all of the cancer season started for, in my life and uh, this began with your grandfather getting diagnosed it did. Um, my grandfather, my my grandmother and grandfather were another set of parents for me. Um, my dad lives in Atlanta, and um, so my mom was a single mom here raising me, and um, so I spent a lot of time with them. They were always at my games and um, graduations and all these things. Um, so it was like hearing that my other dad was diagnosed with cancer. So um, I postponed my internship, and um hung around to just be there for him um, and to watch him fight and um, to help him wherever I could. And so during his, um, one of his chemo treatments, I was on my way to work one day and um, just suffered three days of this weird chest pain. Um, And being 20, I just don't, I didn't think it was anything. I just thought it was some random weird thing that would go away um but then ended up going to the emergency room because of it um and they found a tumor in my chest so you were diagnosed a month before your grandfather tragically passed yes so that must have been a great month for you it was (laughs) i kept looking i again i'm just a big believer and i kept looking up at god like okay (laughs) what (laughs) What do you mean? What is this? Um, it was just a very surreal time. Um, especially being 20, you just think you're invincible and nothing sure. like that is going to happen to you. Um, how long was it? Let me ask you, how long was it between when you started to have these early symptoms and when you were actually diagnosed with, what, did you have Hodgkin's or non-Hodgkin's? Um, Non-Hodgkin's. So how, what was the time lapse in there? Um... So my grandpa was diagnosed, and he fought for a couple months, and then I went in for with chest pain and then was diagnosed within the week oh, wow. um, of my chest pain. And the tumor was pretty massive, and they biopsied it um, as quick as possible and went in for results as quick as possible. And then um, 
about two weeks after my diagnosis is when he passed, and then a week after that, my chemo started. So I don't. <laughs> it's all such a messy. It's a messy timeline. But yeah, that's that's pretty. I would messy was probably being nice about it, but I would agree. <laughs> Uh, an unenviable and uh, suboptimal situation to be in, but I commend you for having that strength during that time. But you went through a year of treatments. That's pretty intense. I did. Um, I went to Moffitt Cancer Center, and I would um, I'd go in for a week um, and try to psych myself out that I was going to stay in a hotel for a week, and it was room service, not nurses, and it was um, just vacation time. And then I would have two weeks, um, like a two-week break. Um, but with chemo, you lose your immune system. So I didn't have enough, um, I didn't have enough immune system to stay out in the world. So I'd end up back in um, our local hospital for those two weeks, anyways. So it was kind of rough. <laughs> and then um, about eight months of that, and then um, two months of radiation after that. So let me ask you in the. I guess in the preamble to all of this beginning, were most of these symptoms and side effects and late effects disclosed to you? Was there a discussion about fertility preservation or how this might imp- you might go into menopause or probably will go into menopause or you might lose your hair or how to like what to anticipate? Was there a conversation that you had about that prior to? Um, there were. Well, my first question when they told me, and this, I guess. Too, too girly to handle cancer. But my first question was, wait a second, does this mean that my hair is going to go away? Right. <laughs> and they were like, wait a second, like you don't want to talk about if you're going to die or if <laughs> your chemo is going to work. You want to talk about your hair? And I was like, of course I do. Um, yes. So knowing that ahead of time, even, I mean, someone could tell you a million and six times you're going to lose your hair, but it'll grow back. And But it doesn't, it, the, the day that it actually happens is like, I don't, that's one of the worst days, in my opinion, of cancer. Right. Um, But that speaks to not appreciating you as a human being and you as a patient, where you have the right for this to be a primary issue of concern, and they need to respect that. And I I hear these stories all the time where it seems like it's a well-intended response, but it just seems to completely throw you and what your priorities are under the bus when you're not 80 with breast cancer. Right. Well, and that's, cause that's, I don't, I just feel like that's so having your hair is so important for, for a 20 something year old girl, especially. Right. Um, and so I think that it may have surprised them, you know, for that to be my first reaction because they don't, I mean, they are seeing 80 year olds in all the other rooms. And then here's this 20 year old yes. not asking, how can I save my life? It's how can I save my hair? <laughs> you know? Right. And, and I, you are the embodiment of, of everything that we stand for as an organization in that you have the right to survive with dignity. And that is in the eye of the beholder. And for you, it's not vain to want to look normal and feel normal when you're going through something that you didn't ask to have. So uh, how long did it take you for it to start to regrow? Um, My last radiation, it's the chemo that kept it away, but um, radiation didn't help either. Right. It started growing back probably two months after radiation. Um, But I was one, I was like eating those biotin pills like they were meals. (laughs) (laughs) Like using that horse shampoo, um, mane and tail, like no one's business. Sure. (laughs) And so... It grew back pretty quickly, thankfully. No, yeah, so, so where did you, uh, let me ask you one more question. Did you, along your journey, know that there were young adult-focused communities and movements and organizations like ours? We were mentioning Cancer and Careers at the top of the show, and First Descent is another notable organization that has adventure camping retreats. Were those made aware to you, or did you find Dr. Google, or did you really feel completely alone? I actually didn't even... There was not a day of it that I felt alone. Um, granted, I didn't know about all of the young adult um, organizations, all the young adult help that um, there are in the world, but I had um, support, and I, it was ridiculous the amount of people that 
came around me between my um, my family, my church family, my friends. There was always someone going to chemo with me. There was always um, someone calling or texting. So I didn't have time to ever feel alone <laughs> in my fight. Um, and I am so thankful for that. But it, it also, because I had that, I never really looked into other, looked into like support groups or looked into um, like other young adult organizations that, that helped us fight. You know? Right, but you decided to take things into your own hands now, and uh, tell us how the original, I, I would, I'll make a really bad pun, what was the spark that led to Spark the Way? And that is your <laughs> effort right now to basically enhance the voice of your story, and your story is resonant with 70,000 other new diagnoses every year. Um, so Spark the Way really, it, <laughs> the spark that sparked Spark the Way was... <coughs> um, the the love and the thankfulness that I had for the community that came around me in my time. Um, again, all those people who did chemo with me, who would call and text nonstop, who would send me um, Bible verses throughout the whole thing, that was really what gave me the strength to um, not be afraid of my cancer. Um, and so I just have this ridiculously crazy passion to... Um, help other young adult fighters be fearless in their fight um, and just to provide a community that constantly is reminding them like you don't have to fear this um, and constantly reminding them like we're here to pray for you like we're here to to talk with you we're here to um, just be with you in this fight um, so that people can feel the way that I did um, not battling alone um, and feeling fearless I like your part of your story, and I think we found you on Twitter somehow, and now we're best friends, yeah. which is good. Um, I hope we gave you a bit of a bump and get you guys known out there. I know that we have a dearth of activity in Florida, so I'm, I think you might have connected with Nancy, but if you haven't, we will definitely make that happen. She's our Florida state advocate. Um, yeah, I'd love to. But um, this issue of you know when they say go home, that's not the end of the story, and that People don't really understand that. And I, A, can you fault them because they haven't been through it, but that there really is no finish line when you're going through this. And you're and again, in no respect to the elderly, but when you're 80, that's different than when you're 22 and you have the rest of your life yes. to figure out how to not be 80. And yes. uh, I'd love you to share with us some of the challenges that you're facing right now because I'm sure a lot of the listeners to the show will be nodding their heads on the air hearing some of the things that you were having to sort of navigate now that you're cured yeah um so the initial thing for me um which came with appearance was heels like being able to walk in heels obviously the hair thing um but trying to walk in like my favorite shoes you don't have the leg muscle anymore um or any muscle for that matter so having to rebuild your strength physically um was a big one and then i tried to go back to school um, the first semester that I was out of chemo and being able to retain any kind of information um, was really difficult. My short-term memory, I've never, <laughs> I get called Dory all the time, even to this day. Like, I just have a really hard time um, remembering <laughs> anything. Um, and the one that I'm still battling with now is um, the weight loss because after all of that after um, going through menopause for that year of my life, my metabolism just seems to be shot. And so I can't, I got, I came back into this normal life um, post-cancer thinking I could eat the way I could and um, not have to be as like health conscious, I guess food conscious as I, <laughs> as but, I was. Um, yeah. And so now it's really, I don't, that is the biggest struggle, just having to lose this when your body's in the in the, mi the mindset that it's already been through menopause and that it's like an old lady body. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to defend yourself a lot by people not really understanding that you're going through something when they assume, well, you look fine, get on with your life? Yeah, that's, it's a lot of explaining and it's a lot of... Um, I, I just thought I don't like to be that person that says, oh, I'm sorry, like, I don't remember that because I had cancer. And then people give you that, 
oh, man, like, I'm really sorry. Like, I don't want your sympathy. I just want you to understand, like, this is why I have a hard time remembering <laughs> what you just told me. Right. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a really awkward line because you don't want to blame it on the cancer, but you also want them to understand the place that you're in, you know? Agreed. We have about two minutes left, but I really want to get to what I think is the core of you as a human being is obviously you are a woman of deep faith. And this is something that millions of people go through every year, and they are of deep faith. How did this challenge your faith? We've had lots of shows with people. We've had um, pastors. We've had reverends on the show who are young with cancer. We've had uh, biblical uh, doctoral students on the show with cancer. And everyone has a different answer, uh, which is great because it speaks to humanity. But it really does challenge why is this happening does God's will really make sense? And how do you reconcile that? I'd love you to close out the segment by telling us how you got through it and how your faith, uh, where your faith is today. For sure. Um, I looked a lot at, there, there's a story of Job in the Bible and everything was taken from Job. Um, his health, his family, his, um, his money, his means of income, his job, um, everything that uh, made up his life. And, so I would go back to his story a lot because I felt like that. Like I lost, I felt like I had lost my life and I was given a completely new one that sucked. Um, and so reading about how he handled it and how he was still um, just able to rely on God and look at God and say, all right, I am here for you. Like I know that my time here is short, but I will live for you no matter how hard it is, um, no matter how dark it gets. Like I will still serve you, Lord. And so that was kind of my response <laughs> throughout um, that year was just, Lord, like, this is going to get really hard, but um, if this is going to be something that gives me a platform later on to tell people about you, then that's fine. I'm here and I'm willing. Um, so relying on him. And then there's a verse in Philippians that stuck with me the entire time that um, says, do not worry, do not be anxious about anything, but... Um, pray about everything, and um, the peace of God that surpasses all knowledge um, will be with you. And so I took that into account, you know, every day saying, all right, Lord, like, I'm not going to worry about this, um, but I do want to pray for this test. Um, But beyond that, I'm thankful for you've given me this. I'm thankful for this, and I'm thankful for it. And just being thankful in that time um, really actually did bring that peace that surpasses the knowledge um, that we have. And it's cool to be able to say when people ask me, well, what did cancer feel like? Well, like being told I had cancer at 20, it was surreal. Um, but because of the realness and the truth of that verse, it was peaceful. Um, and that was just my my constant peace and um, my constant strength came from that from that book and from people sending me verses to remind me. Because um, obviously there's days where you don't feel like moving or doing anything, <laughs> including reading your Bible. And so I'm thankful for the people that would send me verses on the days that I didn't have the strength to get up and do it myself. Well, you uh, have your platform. Here you are. Madison yeah. Miller, 22-year-old hot, uh, lymphoma survivor, founder of Spark the Way. What's your uh, Twitter handle for the uh, listeners? It's at Spark the Way. There you go. At Spark the Way on Twitter, Madison Miller. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. You too. All right, Kenny. And now the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for a meetup and never miss an event again. I misread that. Sign up for meetup (laughs) alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own Stupid Cancer Meetup, visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. Got a couple happening. Uh, we have a little event this weekend, OMG East. Immediately following that, we will have a meetup in New York, New York, and then another one in San Diego, California. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Maybe that should be the hashtag. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Create your account 
and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of cancer patients, survivors, and caregivers right now. Instapeer.org. We launch a newsfeed aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed. And cancer is expensive. Check out cancermaybebroke.com. That's cancermademebroke.com, our national partnership with Give Forward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser. You did not ask to get sick, and your community wants to help you. Visit cancermaybebroke.com to learn more and start your fundraiser today. Support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org. You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News. In our main segment here, we're going to be spotlighting the James Cancer Center at The Ohio State University. I learned very early on not to eliminate the word the. Dr. Mike Caligari is the director of The Ohio State University's Comprehensive Cancer Center and the CEO of The Ohio State James Cancer Hospital and I'm going to botch the Sola Research Institute and holder of the John L. Marcus Nationwide Insurance Enterprise Foundation Chair in Cancer Research. I'm good night, folks. All right, and joining him is Doug Ullman, three-time young adult cancer survivor and one of the nation's leading cancer advocates. I personally attest to that. Formerly president and CEO of Livestrong, Doug relocated to Columbus, presumably because they used the word the in front of Ohio State University. Uh, In late 2014, began his role as the CEO of the Palatonia, a nonprofit group that has raised $97 million since its inception to fund innovative cancer research at the Ohio State University James Cancer Hospital. Please welcome to the show... Mike Caligari and Doug Ullman. I'm going to do a drinking game every time I say the Ohio State University. So let's get the booze running, guys. Hey, guys, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us, Matt. Appreciate it. Those are uh, highly impressive um, uh, bios to be read. Um, I would imagine there's more, but we probably cut it short because the show's a half hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, our mothers put them together. So. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Uh, for those listening, Doug and I go back more than 10 years. We met very early on when you were, I think you just started at Livestrong or you were just leaving the Ullman Cancer Fund. But I want to start because you are such a pivotal human being in the history of the young adult cancer movement. And uh, you've been an inspiration to me. You helped give birth to me in a sense of who I am today. Whether that's good or bad is anyone's determination. But at the end of the day, you helped start a revolution, and I commend you, and it, it, it needs to be put out to the world. But let's start because you had cancer not once, not twice, three times, and you were at Brown playing soccer. Yeah, well, Matt, thanks for having us on, and um, thanks for the kind words. That's not necessary, uh, and, and it's mutual given that you've created something really special and and have taken on uh, a huge leadership role, and for that I'm uh, tremendously grateful. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, as with many young adults, it started at a time in my life when you least expect it, when you're healthy and young, and and I was in school and playing sports and invincible, and uh, then you hear the the words, you have cancer, and you immediately uh, realize how naive you are, realize how uh, alone and, and lonely the, the experience can be. And, um, you know, I just had a firm belief at that time that it didn't have to be that way for a lot of uh, young adults who uh, would go down that same path. And so uh, I didn't really know anything about the young adult oncology community. I didn't really know the statistics back then. I just sort of felt like something should be done. And, uh, and, and fortunately, looking back, a lot has been done because of a lot of great people, uh, including... Uh, all the people that are that are on the on the on the show tonight. So um, it's been neat to watch, and and yet we still have a lot of work to 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 do in the future. And uh, again, you you went to uh, Columbus to be part of something incredible, and uh, you've learned it was a huge shift clearly because the weather got much much worse. But you had water, which is really critical 
to sustaining your children's careers as, as in, 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 in whatever. But, but I want to get to Mike because amongst the sea of um, accolades in your titles, uh, the James does some incredible research. And we've, we've showcased a lot of uh, clinics on the show in the last couple of years. But there, there is something to really be said about what you're doing there. Why don't you tell us a little of your backstory, how you got into this, um, what keeps you in it, and uh, maybe a, a quick one-on-one about the history of the James and, and some of the, the, the philosophies of how you operate. Well, thanks, Matt, and thanks for having Doug and I uh, on the show. This is, again, kudos to you. This is really fantastic. Um, you know, how did I get in it? Basically, you know, 35 years ago when I was in medical school, um, if you had cancer, you died. Um, it was that simple. You heard the C word, and uh, I don't know, are there are any listeners old enough to remember this, but there was just one way that things would go. And honestly, the first thing that inspired me about oncology was that I found I had a knack or a gift for helping people with that final leg of the journey. And um, I would get a lot of kudos back from the families after this closure saying, you know, you really helped us at a very awkward time um, bring good, loving closure. So that was my first um, foray into the field. And when I got that kind of feedback, I started to look into it more and more and was fascinated by, you know, the biology and the possibilities. Um, right around the time that I was training was when bone marrow transplant just started. And for the first time, you know, we cured patients of chronic myeloid leukemia. But you had to have a perfect match um, from a brother or a sister. You had to be 21 years or younger. And you had about a 50% chance of being cured. And just to fast forward for everybody, today you take a pill. And uh, I gave that pill to somebody who was 89 years old. And, you know, they continued well into their 90s on that pill. No bone marrow transplant, no chemo. So when you stop and think, today... We all know someone, in fact, we know someone on this phone, um, cured of cancer. We know people living successfully with cancer, and we don't think so much about that, but 35 years ago, which is just a smidgen of time, nobody did that. So we're making great progress, and part of that progress is happening at the James, no question about it. Um, we've had discoveries that have literally changed the landscape of how cancer is diagnosed and how cancer is treated. I'll give you a perfect example. HPV, human papillomavirus, known for a long time to be the cause of cervical cancer. One of our researchers, Dr. Maura Gillison, discovered that it's also the cause of a certain fraction of head and neck cancers. And those are the folks that are not usually the heavy drinkers and heavy smokers, but rather come, come upon this challenging cancer. Um, and actually, it's a virus that causes it, not necessarily either of the other two agents. And then she discovered that they seem to do really well. So now someone walks in, we do a diagnostic test whether they have HPV or not. If they have HPV, it's like, hey, we got some really good news. You've got a 90% chance of a cure, even if it's spread to local lymph nodes. So now what we're doing is we're backing down on how much chemo, radiation, and surgery those patients with HPV head and neck cancer actually need, and it might be a lot less. So very, very exciting. And I remember years ago, Somebody came in with head and neck cancer, and we hadn't discovered that HPV was a cause. And this person really wasn't a smoker or a drinker, and no one really knew, like, why did this guy get this cancer? And I had the privilege of calling him years later when the discovery was made because he was just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, this is going to come back. I'm going to die of it. And so they will tell him we stained his tumor and because we kept his tumor, and it was HPV positive. I said, got really good news. You're cured. So those are the kinds of transformative basic discoveries. Looking in the laboratory, you find a virus and a cancer, and then you translate it all the way into the clinic where you give really good news to people that are stricken with this. And, of course, now we're, we're investigating the role of the, of the vaccine, which we believe will turn out to be the preventative agent not only for cervical cancer but for head and neck HPV cancer. So right. A lot of good things. No, and I was recently at an event uh, where I heard Bill Clinton speak, and among other things, he said something which is typically genius. He said that the single most profound shift in the philosophy of, of healthcare is the pivot from body part to genome. And exactly. this is where I think we have a responsibility to educate 
the the lay person, the general public, that you're right, cancer is now a sustainable chronic disease. We do work with some pharma companies that have these um, these indications that service like 26 different types of of, of uh, genome markers at once, and yeah. it's absolutely fascinating to see that this is the byproduct of you know the last legit like last 40 years of research. We're here now. Do you see that as the end all be all? I mean, this is the direction everything's going from now on. Yes, um, to the short answer, you know, the, the buck stops with the genome, and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. You know, the how cells divide. Um, what you learned about in, in biology in high school. Um, it's the same if it's a brain cell, if it's a liver cell, if it's a blood cell. They divide the same way. So the signals in each cell are the same, and the things that get stuck and cause cancer can be the same. So the same treatment for a leukemia can also be the same treatment for a sarcoma, and in fact that is the case in certain instances because it's the same gene that's stuck. So it's almost like it doesn't so matter much matter which cell type the cancer initiated in, it's more like what's the molecule that's broken? And those molecules are the same in all cells. So you're absolutely right. Studying the genome, what's the molecule in this cell? And ultimately, we want to get something off the shelf um, to hit that particular molecule, regardless of where that cancer is in your body. So this actually is a great segue to Doug, because all of this incredible research requires lots of money and the way in which the James uh, acquires that revenue is through a very innovative program that attracted Doug to move from Austin, which I can't imagine was that, you know, water versus no water and, you know, whatever, but I I can go back to that forever. But (laughs) you went to Columbus to the Ohio State University for the Pelotonia. I want you to tell us what that is, its origins, and it, it is, it's become a juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, Mike is really the the founder and architect of this uh, movement called Pelotonia, and you know it sort of came to him after seeing what uh, a community in New England and Boston particularly had created that 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 really galvanized and mobilized an entire uh, region to support cancer research. Uh, and, and that example at Dana Farber, um, and he thought, well, we can do that here in Columbus, and the community here really came together. The corporate community, uh, who has been so generous to underwrite all of the expenses associated with our organization so that 100% of every dollar raised can be invested directly into um, what we would describe as primarily high-risk, high-reward research. Um, We're able to fund hundreds of young scientists, whether they be undergraduate students, graduate students, postdocs, uh, to really uh, launch or keep them in the field uh, when they have a great idea that is uh, too early or too risky for others to fund. We're able to fund uh, more senior folks who uh, want uh, to sort of pursue something a little bit larger to get enough data to be able to, to, to go to the NIH or NCI uh, for more significant funding. We're able to help recruit some of the brightest talent in the world to come to the James and and set up their labs and and do their clinical work here, Um, and also able to do some bigger, higher-level projects that, uh, some of which Mike touched on, um, that really have the potential to change the landscape. And I've really never seen a community rally around an institution and a cause like this community has, and that was one of the things that really... Uh, attracted me and and also you know candidly Mike's leadership because he's built a phenomenal team that is uh, remarkably collaborative uh, for an institution this size and um, they're able to attract some of the best and brightest talent on the on the on the scientific side uh, which is exciting and patients are coming from all across the country and around the world uh, to see these experts and so for us at Pelotonia, we um, are continuing to build our brand and leverage uh, our event, which takes place every August. It has uh, this year just under 8,000 cyclists who uh, will raise, by the time we're done next month, uh, more than 21 or 22 or $23 million. Um, very grassroots operation and uh, something that we 
uh, we think can continue to grow and grow into the future. It, and again, it is incredibly impressive. I, I've been, the only time, ironically, I've been in Columbus was when we had the Livestrong Summit in either 06 or 08 or 2010, whatever that was. But I was fascinated by the town and, and the community and the college. And, and it, it really is, I could smell it in the best sense that that sounds really awkward. But I, it was a really energetic community. And, and I, I commend you for, for actually, I remember we spoke and you said, like, people talk to each other here. Like, that's very unique. We're in Brooklyn. No one talks to each other here. So, <laughs> well, and, and, and Matt, I'll give you I'll give you an example. I mean, well, two two things. One, you'll remember that years ago when we um, jointly launched a, a progress review group with the National Cancer Institute to look at uh, the issue of young adult oncology. You know, Mike was one of the co-chairs of that effort, and and given his background in leukemia and his leadership uh, as a cancer center director, it was ideal to have him involved. But I'll give you an example of something that happens here in Columbus that is, I think, very unique and, and exciting, and Mike can speak to this more directly. But, you know, the collaboration between Nationwide Children's Hospital and the James when it comes to therapy uh, for kids but also for young adults, uh, this generation that, that obviously we care so much about, uh, is really remarkable. I mean, the, the lack of competitive spirit between the institutions and really the collaborative nature where... Uh, all of the radiation therapy for pediatric patients and young adult patients is provided at the James, uh, even though their primary physician may be at Nationwide. All the Nationwide oncologists are part of the cancer center at Ohio State uh, and do their research. And um, it's really a unique thing that in many cities this size, I mean, for the 14th or 15th largest city, to have that type of uh, collaborative spirit is is something that was uh, extremely attractive uh, to, to me when looking at the landscape here. No, and that is a very refreshing thing considering here in New York City, no one talks to anyone, and everything is a silo, and it's regrettable because then people miss out on what collaboration means. And I, I actually, Heidi Adams, our mutual friend who is now head of Critical Mass, has a great quote that I repurpose, which basically says that collaboration is the new competition. So again, it just reinforces... You, you clearly made the right decision. So for that, um, let, let me go back to, to Mike then, because it, the James, again, it really is a very well-established uh, research center. Uh, where are you specifically? You have your own lab, and I've seen that hundreds of students have trained in your lab. Is there a specific focus around the basic research you do, or is it really just open discovery? Great question, Matt. Um, we really work on two things, uh, the human immune system, and one, how does it effectively survey against the development of cancer um, normally? And then two, trying to understand what breaks down when a tumor can evade the immune system or break through the immune system. And then three, finally, therapeutically, what can we do to restore that immune surveillance and shrink tumors and uh, ultimately cure tumors? So a lot of, lot of time on understanding human immunology in the context of cancer. And then we also study um, leukemia, acute myeloid leukemia, what causes it. Um, we've developed mouse models that spontaneously develop acute leukemia, and we've watched the immune system. And now, finally, we're really connecting the immune system with uh, leukemia. In other words, what are the best immune therapies for leukemia itself? Lastly, we're developing a vaccine to prevent a certain type of cancer um, cause post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder, called PTLD for short. That's a lymphoma that arises after you get a solid organ transplant, like a heart or a lung or a liver or a kidney. And it usually 95% of the time is associated with the Epstein-Barr virus. We're developing a vaccine uh, for the immune system to really recognize the virus before the cancer ever occurs. No, and I'm reading here that you have the world's largest uh, bank of human leukemia cells. So that probably yeah. speaks to why this is a big focus. Do, ha, yeah. How would this dovetail into the pediatric, like, ALL world? Yeah, well, first of all, um, both adults and children get ALL and AML. Um, there's really, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really just an age thing because they're really um, same diseases in the same um, groups. And what we do is our research groups include both adults and pediatric um, physicians, physician scientists, and scientists. So a lot, for example, I study a gene called MLL, 
and MLL is one of the most common uh, defects in childhood leukemia and adult leukemia. So, um, like you say, I mean, creating artificial barriers when really it's a molecular defect that spans uh, childhood and adulthood um, really just creates unnecessary barriers. You know, just, just the idea is just break down the barrier. We're studying this gene. Let's do it. And, um, and we collaborate beautifully with folks, not only at Nationwide Children, but also at Cincinnati Children's as well. So um, it's, really, it's really been a wonderful, highly collaborative, and therefore highly productive um, environment that we, that we have here. So let me toss it back to Doug, because uh, one of the things that I look back at, at what Livestrong really did as a, as a global brand was bring the idea of survivorship to the front lines. The, the concept that cancer isn't over when it's over, that it, it, it's moved from a death sentence, as you put out during the initial part of the show, to a life sentence, and that you have the rest of your life to live with through and beyond it, ideally. And that survivorship today, it's, it's, it is research. There is a lot of research out there that kind of splits between the molecular and the lifestyle. And I started Stupid Cancer in the wake of the PRG, and, and I'll be celebrating 20 years uh, this December, but everything is about, I, I don't want to put one against the other, but the idea of that research gets you to where you need to be to survive, but then there are consequences or potentially side effects or late effects, and we talk about now there's transplants that give you cancer. How are you addressing survivorship as research? So yeah, I could, look, Doug, Doug, why don't you take a crack at that? Well, no, I was just going to say, Matt, I think one of the things that's so um, interesting about Pelotonia is that, uh, you know, what we want to do is really engage the advocates in the research. And I think years ago when, when, when you were diagnosed, when I was diagnosed, you know, I didn't really understand that there was a way to be involved in the research process. It was more sort of, hey, you can help us by raising money, and then we're going to send that money over to this lab somewhere, but you'll never really see the lab, and you may not ever really meet the people in the lab, and you may not understand what's going on in the lab, but thank you for raising money for us. And I think that's one of the great things about Pelotonia is it's really broken that down um, and, and showed people how they can be involved. And it's not us, the advocacy community, raising money for them, the scientists. It's actually all of us doing it together. And one of the interesting things that, that Mike and his team put in place as it relates to Pelotonia is that scientists who want to receive funding from Pelotonia actually participate in the ride. They ride, they raise money, and it's a stipulation of their uh, uh, application for funding. And that creates a really interesting dynamic because you could have a 25-year-old healthy a young person participating in the event, and they are participating right next to a world-class scientist who just came to the James from another institution uh, because of Pelotonia, and they get to talk, and they get to exchange information, and they get to learn from one another, and the dynamic is really, uh, is really, really different. So I know that didn't answer your question specifically, but, but it, it is creating an opportunity for, for patients, survivors, family members, and loved ones to be a part of the solution, not just a part of uh, the fundraising. No, and, and actually, well, you did indirectly answer my question because it does speak to this concept of how do you get the rest of the world outside of our bubble to get it in that sense. And, you know, there is so much more scrutiny these days on where does my money go and what happens to this, and this is necessary. So, again, another commendable sort of philosophy I, I would like to think that could potentially work outside of Columbus because it's such a great city, but conceivably it is definitely something that I would like to see happen to get the rest of the world to get where your money goes, what it really means, and how it really helps. Thank you, Matt. One thing, Matt, just very briefly, uh, in addition to having to ride, no money is handed out until the application goes for peer review. So every single grant dollar that we give out and, you know, 100% of the money that Doug has raised in Pelotonia goes to cancer research. There's no overhead. So for every dollar that's raised, that dollar goes, 100% of that dollar goes to cancer research. And then for every scientist, and let's say it's a scientist who studies the science of survivorship, 
they put in a grant application. That grant application is reviewed by people inside Ohio State University and then people external to Ohio State University. And we're really only funding about the top 25, 30% of applications. So it's hard to get the money. Right. Um, you've got to be doing great science. Nothing is just handed out. Um, so we're studying all aspects from the genesis of cancer through survivorship, prevention as well. 100% of the money goes to cancer research, and then all of it is peer-reviewed before any money is, is handed out. No, I mean, and this is the transparency that people want to see. So it's another sort of selling point of how wonderful this really means and why the community is clearly so engaged in what you're doing. Uh, quick question. We have about five minutes left. How many patients do you see a year, roughly, uh, at the James? We have about 350,000 new uh, outpatient visits at the James. We see between six and 8,000 new cases of cancer a year um, at the James. So we're busy. Yeah, sadly, uh, but thankfully, you know, I guess. Sadly, yeah. and, and, you know, we just opened a $1.1 billion, 1.1 million square feet cancer hospital. It's been open for nine months, um, brand new, beautiful building. And sadly, uh, just today, it was 97% full, 306 beds, exclusively cancer, all single private rooms, but right. all full, unfortunately. So we've got lots of work to do, um, making great progress. Um, like I said, we all know people living successfully with cancer or cured of cancer, but there's still a long way to go before we have a cancer-free world. No, and I agree. I realize I completely glazed over Doug's story, um, presumably because the whole world heard it a thousand times, but you are coming up on 19 years this fall. You have two kids now or three kids now? I, I, I lose track. Two, two, two. Yes, two. I don't want to make it worse <laughs> than it is. I have two, it's enough. Um, but but what you've gone through, what you've seen, what you've witnessed in the last 20 years is truly transformative. Who'd have thought that this is where we'd be today, correct? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and exactly. you know, one of the things we didn't, we didn't touch on, but that, that Mike and, and his colleagues at Moffitt are, are leading, you know, is something that, that really is engaging patients in the research enterprise in a way that 20 years ago wasn't available. No one sat me down and said, do you want to, to sort of have your information put into a, a shareable database that might benefit you or other people in the future? And those things are happening now on a regular basis, and people are uh, unequivocally signing up and saying, yes, if I can help my family but also others, um, put me down and, and, and let me participate and be an active participant. And, you know, the world has changed dramatically uh, in many ways, and uh, I think the next decade is going to be even more exciting. No, and we hear stories of people who they can't get access to their data. And, yeah. you know, no, who wants a four terabyte hard drive sitting on their desk? But rhetorically, exactly. you have the right to know your genome yeah. and your genotype and what, you know, predispositions and how this research can help you and other people. It's good to see that that is actively happening there because I don't think it's happening enough in other places. Yeah, the good news is we've got, it's called Total Cancer Care, and I can tell you we opened it 15 months ago. We've had 12,000 patients sign the consent in 15 months, 92% of all patients approached. So to Doug's point, this is what people want, and uh, there's over 100,000 people now signing the consent. We've got a consortium of 10 cancer hospitals, to your point earlier, Matt, all working together, all the same consent, and uh, we hope to get clinical trials done a lot quicker for both children and young adults, as well as older adults. So well, that be good. That's big data, if I ever heard of it. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Uh, really inspirational. And I, I hope our listeners get some good takeaways here, that there really is progress happening. These cancer centers are collaborating for all of our good, and uh, the James is no exception. So uh, Mike uh, Caligari, director of the Ohio State University's Comprehensive Cancer Center, and Doug Ullman, the CEO of the Peloton, I'm going to pronounce this like an East Coaster, the Pelotonia, a uh, nonprofit organization raising over $100 million inception to fund uh, the James Cancer Center. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I hope to get out there this fall to meet you, uh, and we're going to do some good stuff together. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Good show. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. 
Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. The 360th episode of The Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my team here at The Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here on the next exciting podcast of The Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.